Matthew 21, 33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. Then he rented it to tenant farmers and took a trip. When it was time for harvest, he sent his servants to the tenant farmers to collect his fruit. But the tenant farmers grabbed his servants and some of them they killed. Some of them they stoned to death. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group. They treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and we'll have his inheritance. They grabbed him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They said, he will totally destroy those wicked farmers and rent the vineyard to other tenant farmers who will give him the fruit when it's ready. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that God's kingdom will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who produce its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be crushed and the stone will crush the person it falls on. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they knew Jesus was talking about them. They were trying to arrest him, but they feared the crowds who thought he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in our lives and your presence in this world. And we pray that we will experience your spirit in the hearing of your word for us today. Amen. So today is World Communion Sunday, which came out of the modern ecumenical movement in the 1930s. Basically, Christians around the world began to recognize the degree to which our theological and ideological difference had driven Christians apart and frankly had led to discrimination and violence in war. So in the early 20th century, Christians around the world began exploring what they had in common and they committed to work together for peace and, and that's what World Communion Sunday is all about. So I have no idea why this is our lectionary text today because it's a parable about murderous tenants that has led to discrimination, violence, and war. Or maybe I should, I should be more precise and say that the way Christians have interpreted this parable has led to discrimination, violence, and war. But it is easy to see sort of how this happened. In the parable, Jesus describes a landowner who planted an, a vineyard and dug a wine press and built a watchtower. And this is not an original idea. Hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah described a vineyard where the landowner plants grapes 
digs a wine press, and builds a watchtower. Isaiah says that God is the landowner. So when Christians saw the exact same situation, they interpreted this parable as a retelling of how Jewish leaders rejected prophets. And they also thought that this was a prediction uh, that the religious leaders would kill Jesus. But basically, the telling of the, of the parable, the interpretation of the parable goes like this. If God's the landowner, then the vineyard represents Israel. The farmers or the tenants are the religious leaders. The servants who get beaten and killed, those are prophets. And of course, the son is Jesus. And this has been the, the standard understanding throughout most of Christian history. And, and frequently, it's been used as evidence that Jews killed Jesus and that Christians replaced Jews as God's chosen people. And, I mean, frankly, I don't even want to say aloud the horrific things that bishops and popes and pastors have said about Jewish people in sermons about this parable. So, so what is going on? Like, is that, is that what Jesus meant? Let's, let's take a look. Jesus is telling the parable to Jewish religious leaders who are questioning his authority. I mean, and this is also, mindly, good to remember that these are two different Jewish leaders having a conversation within one religious setting. And it's a particularly tense situation because the day before, Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple and accused these particular folks of corruption. And these religious leaders want to arrest Jesus, but they're afraid because Jesus has the crowd on his side. And now Jesus is telling a parable about a landowner who rents his vineyard to farmers. When the landover, landowner sends servants to collect the harvest, the workers, the tenants, beat and kill the servants. The landover sends more servants and the same thing happens. So finally, the landowner sends his son to collect the harvest. The workers see the son and they think that like, the father has died, the son has inherited the land, so the farmers kill the son thinking they'll get to keep the land. But the landowner is alive, and he is on his way to the vineyard. So Jesus asks the landowners, what, or the religious leader, what the landowner should do. The religious leaders tell Jesus that the father, the landowner, should put those wretched tenants to a miserable death and then rent the land to other farmers. And, and this right here, it sets up this huge gotcha moments uh, where the, the religious leaders denounce sinful behavior. Then they realize that the behavior they just denounced was actually a description of themselves. And, and this is also exactly what happens in 2 Samuel. When the prophet Nathan tells David about an evildoer and then asks David what to do, in 2 Samuel, David, like the religious leaders here, say that evildoer should be killed. 
which is the perfect setup for the prophet Nathan to reveal that evil man is you. Now, David realizes that he deserves to die for his crimes. And in this situation, the setup is the same. The religious leaders tell Jesus that the wicked tenants deserve to die. But rather than revealing, you are the wicked tenants, you deserve to die, Jesus goes in the opposite direction. He asks them, haven't you ever read the scriptures? Don't, don't you get it? God is not coming in violence. The answer to violence is not more violence. That's not the way of God's kingdom. And this is where the parable gets misinterpreted. Because Jesus does not say what should actually happen to the wicked tenants. Jesus never says explicitly that, no, you are wrong. The tenants should not be killed. Jesus simply says, have you not read the scriptures? So Christians have sort of brushed over this line and basically said, yep, the religious leaders, they were right. God does come in vengeance, that those who do what is wrong will get what's coming to them. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are seven times that Jesus uses a version of that same line. Have you not read the scriptures? And every time Jesus uses that phrase, he's speaking to religious leaders who just got the answer wrong. Jesus is never like, have you not read the scriptures? Because <laughs> that would be wild that you got the answer right without even reading the book. You're right, I should totally beat the disciples for not eating on the Sabbath. Gold stars all around. This, this is not how it goes. Jesus is telling the religious leaders that this is not a parable about God's vengeance. That God does not come in wrath. And we actually know that because of what happened in real life after the Son of God was killed. Did God come to earth to destroy and kill? No. Jesus came offering love and forgiveness and salvation from a world bound by violence. Instead of violence, Jesus offers another way. He tells them, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The foundation of God's kingdom is not power and violence. The foundation is those who've been rejected. And on one level, I believe Jesus is talking about himself, how he will be rejected and how his rejection will sort of be the foundation of God's kingdom. Because by dying a humiliating death, Jesus disentangles suffering and shame. When God suffers, it shows us there's, there's no shame in suffering, no shame in weakness, no shame in vulnerability. And in fact, our rejection, our wounds can become the foundation of God's work in our life. I mean, I think this is actually 
set up in contrast to this idea, this like logic of violence, of power and dominance that is kind of like baked in to us culturally. So often our response to being hurt is to look for a way to protect ourselves from, from feeling vulnerable, to try to gain power over those that might hurt us again. You know, and, and I see this same logic in, well, in the response to police brutality. Because for police departments to admit that they have targeted black and brown people and they have failed to fix the problem, that's, I mean, that's vulnerable. It means they need help. It means they lose control. So they respond with violent force to overcome and seduce subdue those who criticize them. Like that's that logic played out, but I'm not going to only pick on conservative politics here. Um, how did we feel when we learned that Trump got COVID? Like was there maybe some satisfaction, maybe a feeling that he got what he deserved? but probably also those who are critical of Trump's handling of COVID would, would also say that like our goal is to pre prevent the spread of the virus to vulnerable, vulnerable people like a 74-year-old. But yet, for some reason, this 74-year-old is different, perhaps because he, because he hurt us because he made us feel vulnerable and out of control. And as long as I'm feeling like that, I, I mean, and I'm being controlled by my wounds. And, and if, if we aren't in touch with our wounds, they'll, they'll control us. They'll make it so hard for us to love people the way Jesus loved. I mean, frankly, even even how Jesus loved the religious leaders in this scripture, he, he does seem to imply that, that they've lost their authority. But he seems to also make it clear that this did not happen because God wants vengeance. This is an expression of love. With his words and with his life, Jesus shows us that God comes in mercy, offering a way of being that that saves us from the internal struggle for violence and power. Jesus shows us that, that God's kingdom is built on those who've been rejected, those who've given up the illusion that power and control bring safety, those who've used their own pain as a source of love and compassion for others and, I mean, this is a hard parable. I feel like I don't have time to, like, as much time as I want to, like, dig into all the verses because they're tricky, nor reflect on, on our vulnerability and our pain and what it is to be in touch with that and, and how, I, how it helps us love. Um, and I want to wrap up, so I'm just going to do it with this. I believe 
we become like the God we worship. So my prayer for us is that we worship a God who sees our pain, a God who sees our hurts, our failings, and our shortcomings, a God who sees all of who we are and responds with love and compassion. Amen.